Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zweig Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting experts straight talk in your ear. These podcasts deliver great interviews with industry leaders and Zweig Group's three decades of invaluable research, leadership, management, marketing, client, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts let you develop personally and professionally, wherever you are. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Zweig Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I am coming to you today from Charleston, South Carolina. Happen to be down here doing a Principals Academy event. That is our two-day boot camp uh, event for leaders in the design industry, whether you are an engineer, architect, landscape architect, environmental consultant, planner, doesn't matter. If you work in the design industry space and you are a principal or want to be a principal or are being thrust into leadership, well, the Principal Academy is definitely an event that you should ultimately come to and participate in. Uh, We do this event four times a year, and this is actually the final event for 2018. Uh, Next year, we'll be doing the Principal Academy in four different locations, including Dallas, Texas, um, Seattle, Washington, Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and New York City. That's right. We are coming to the Big Apple in 2019. So definitely want to encourage you, if you've never been to a Principals Academy event, you should definitely check it out. But that's not the reason why I'm doing this podcast. I really wanted to continue on uh, sharing a little bit of what we experienced at our Hot Firm event in uh, September of this year in Dallas, Texas. We really had an outstanding program, and there were a number of breakout sessions, um, some of which I've already shared here on this podcast and others which I will share in the near future. But this next session that I want to share with you it was called The Changing Workplace, and I thought it was really interesting because it was a, the title is The Changing Workplace, New School versus Old School. And our own Brendan Shearer did an amazing job hosting this particular uh, event, this breakout session. We had a couple of participants, um, Aaron Tippy from Westwood Professional Services, as well as Mitch Fortner from KSA. Both of these individuals 
uh, really did an amazing job working alongside Brendan and the rest of the participating audience to really kind of give a glimpse into, you know, how the current design industry workplace is changing. Um, that's why we called it new school versus old school. And we talk, we use the M word and actually you couldn't use the word millennial. And every time you used it, you got, um, beeped out, uh, by a guy with an air horn in the, in this session, because we didn't want to make it a, an us versus them, uh, or millennials ruin everything conversation, because that certainly is not the case, um, we like to deal with people on an individual basis, not try to collectively label people. And that's what has happened uh, with certain generations um, recently. So it's, you know, something that we have, we're very conscious of, and we encourage firms to be conscious of that approach. And I think it's also important for firms to embrace the new generations that are coming into the workforce and how things are changing, how the the work environment is changing and certain requests that are made and, you know, um, open work environments and working from home and flexible work schedules. And, you know, what what does it mean to, to, to be flexible in the design industry? Can you be flexible and still make a profit? That's the question. Uh, that's part of the question. Um, I think it's partially an old wineskin versus new wineskin mentality. There's so much that goes into talk about the current changing workplace in the design industry. Uh, but I think this particular breakout session really does a good job of addressing several of the issues that obviously are, cons- are a concern uh, with design firm leadership everywhere. And it's, you know, how do we navigate these waters? How do we, you know, deal with a certain subset of our organization that is of an old wineskin thought process? And how do we also address those that are of a new school or new wineskin mentality? Um, and and are, is, is either one of them wrong or are both of them right in their approach? And I think it's, you know, it's just important to have a healthy dialogue, which is what this breakout session represents. So I hope you get a lot out of this particular session. Uh, I hope you find some insight, some new meaning. I'd love to get some thoughts from you on this particular event. It's a little long. All of these breakout sessions run about an hour. So this particular podcast is going to run a little over an hour, but you can break it up and listen to it on your commute or maybe on the treadmill or you know while you're washing dishes or out walking the dog, whatever. But just check it out. And uh, I'd love to know what you think. And uh, when you have a chance, If you could, go on iTunes and rate the Zweig Letter podcast. It would mean the world to me. It would mean the world to us if you would rate us and let us know how we're doing. And uh, we always love feedback. And if you have any ideas about uh, guests that you'd like to hear on the show or topics that you'd like to hear discussed, let me know. Hit me up, rwilburn at zweiggroup.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to learn... um, more about what you're doing and the things that really excite you when it comes to learning more about this industry. And um, we'll see if we can provide you with that information. So without further ado, here is the Changing Workplace New School versus Old School breakout session from Hot Firm 2018 in Dallas, Texas, with Zweig Group's own Brendan Shearer as the host and Aaron Tippy from Westwood Professional Services and Mitch Fortner from KSA. You guys enjoy, and I'll see you next week. Hi, everyone. 
I'm Christy Zweig, and this is New versus Old School. We decided to do things a little bit differently this year. Um, it may be a discussion that involves talking about different generations and workplace policy, but we decided to add some fun elements into it as well. Uh, so one of the things that we'll do today is actually some live voting. Um, and we also have two wonderful panelists up here as well. Um, and also, it's, it's a kind of discussion with all of you. Um, we do have a, another element. We have somebody in the back that has a buzzer. So if anybody uses the word millennial, so that, that's to discourage stereotyping generations. So everybody just be ready, unless you want to hear that a lot, try to not use that word. Today I'm joined by Brendan Scherer. He's a consultant in our M&A um, division, and he's definitely the best dressed in the office. Actually, I think the photo I have of you is wearing that same suit you're wearing right now. I, I didn't stand up, just so you could see. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're kind of color coordinated because we tend to do a lot in the office, but I'm always the worst dressed. He's the best dressed. I'll let you take it from here. Okay. Uh, I, I laugh because there's an element of truth in every joke. So. <laughs> Um, I want to see you. <laughs> I'm just saying that. <clears throat> I want to go ahead and introduce uh, our panelists, um, Aaron Tippy and uh, Mitch Fortner. They are, uh, I'll give them a round of applause. So I've read through some of their uh, discussions on this and it's really thoughtful. So I, I'd like you to think about it personally, but also from a firm perspective too. Uh, and just uh, be engaged. I want to encourage everyone to be involved in this discussion. And I, I think it'll be good because there's a lot of uh, talk in this arena, uh, but we need to get through kind of some of the political correctness and just kind of get to the heart of the matter. So uh, I look forward to interacting with you all and uh, let's be interactive. Okay. I've got just some brief stats. Um, Mitch Fortner, this is the demographics of your company. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, KSA is uh, about 130 employees. We're in 11 offices, primarily in Texas, um, but we also have small offices in New Mexico, Oklahoma, Louisiana. Um, most of our offices are fairly small. Our largest office is about 50. Um, we practice primarily in the municipal infrastructure arena and aviation. Uh, we do aviation engineering and planning as well as water, sewer, streets, drainage, typical municipal infrastructure. Um, I don't pretend to be an expert on generational differences or any of that. I'm just like y'all trying to figure this stuff out. And so uh, I'm just really happy to be here today and appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Thank you. Aaron? Thanks, Christy. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to share some of these thoughts. Uh, it's going to be a blend of uh, my own opinions and not necessarily that of Westwood Professional Services. And depending on my, how my boss reacts, I might have to explain it. Just way chapter back. So Westwood, you can read up here, about 500 people now. Um, and uh, offices, nine offices uh, throughout the United States. Um, I manage one of our two revenue, revenue generation verticals called Power, 
which is a lot of work from renewable energy, but also high voltage transmission and oil and gas. Um, the other half of the business is, is land development, residential, commercial, and infrastructure. Um, unlike uh, my esteemed uh, uh, panelists here, I do pretend to be an expert in this stuff. Um, actually, we, we've spent a fair amount of time doing some research on our own internally, um, engaging with staff to get feedback on this stuff. Um, but to Mitch's point, just trying to understand it, what does it really mean? Um, you know, based on the, the, the demographics that we have, where our clients are and where, where our industries are going and where there's a pool of available employees, what that's going to look like in the future. A lot of really interesting questions to grapple with here. So thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Here are ground rules again for these discussion. Uh, for this discussion, please don't use the word millennial unless you want to hear that noise. Um, we will pass this mic around, but if you feel like shouting, go for it. Um, and, and also, when we do the live voting portion of this, I would like everybody to answer how they feel, not what their current workplace policy is. Now, hopefully that's one and the same, but I know that in many cases it may not be, and, and so please answer your own personal feelings. We'll get started with our first topic. Trip Crosby. Has joined the meeting. Beth. Has joined the meeting. Hello? Tyler? No, this is Beth from ICS. Tyler? Has joined the meeting. Alright, well, uh, this is Trip. Who's here? Tyler's here. Beth's here. Yeah, I'll be able to do it in like 30 minutes. John? Has joined the meeting. Tyler? Has joined the meeting. Sorry, guys, I got cut off. Is Paul here? What is your access code? No, 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 that's your PIN number. It should be a nine-digit number. Try pressing the pound key. Paul. Has joined the meeting. Any questions before we move on? Great graph, John. Uh, Tyler? Well, my main concern is Jim, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> Hello? <laughs> uh, so our first topic is going to be on, on communication challenges as well as uh, telecommuting. I think we all have definitely been on some calls like that before. Um, so everybody at this point, if you have a cell phone or a computer, you're welcome to take it out. And this is how you're going to vote. So um, seems it, it's a little bit you know, interesting to set up, but you're literally take out your phone, you can send a text to 22333, um, and then just, you know, in your message type new v old, and that will get you logged into this presentation. Um, you also, if you'd rather, you can go to polleb.com slash new v old, and it should walk you through this as well, uh, but really it's easier if you just do the texting. And from this point on, um, if you want to answer a question, you'll just type in your response, which would be A, B, or C, um, or you can also enter words for some of the questions that will show you that. Okay, so here's our first question. How do you feel about telecommuting for staff regardless of location?
Looks like B is winning. Um, we're going to throw it to Aaron. What, how do you feel about telecommuting? I mean, is it something that should be offered to a specific group? Or is it something that um, that you think should be applied to all of How do you think that? B is clearly the correct answer. Um, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, so a couple things that I think about here. Uh, years ago at Westwood, um, we, we attempted to implement almost like a company-wide acceptance of telecommuting. And with the notion being, uh, you know, uh, work it out with your supervisor earlier in the week, and then you can take, you know, a subsequent day in the week off. Uh, we've gotten away from that. Um, I think just for the natural tendency of understanding that, you know, everything that we do is in teams, and having those teams in the office together is ultimately most effective. Uh, more recently, as we have, as the company has grown, as we have entertained more unique uh, hiring situations where, where people want to work a few days in the office or kind of on a remote basis, um, the, the flexibility has, has come into play. Personally, uh, having been in, in a remote office from the, uh, from the headquarters for several years and the bulk of my team being everywhere else, you get used to phone calls, video conference, uh, and otherwise, and not really knowing where people are and not really caring as long as we're able to communicate and get things done. But the point here of it being not for, for all roles is, is, is accurate. Uh, you know, a lot of the work that we do is, is very technician-heavy. People need to be at their desktop, cranking away, have, having the connectivity and computing power that they need to do their job. And, and to say that, yeah, I can do that from home, well, that, that productivity is going to get cut in half in some instances um, if, if we're able to um, do that job at all. So it, it's, um, it, it doesn't work for everybody. You know, flexibility, I think, is still there uh, for people to um, you know, work around personal circumstances or other means that take them out of the office. Um, but it's, 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 that's the reality of it. It's kind of, I think, an unsaid understanding that people have to um, you know, develop with their teams so that they're not impacting negatively their ability to do our work and for the audience, does this create any disunity on the team, or is this normally accepted and understood based on the job type? Anyone? Come on, you got to be interactive. Chris? Yeah, I think sometimes you can use where you know, give somebody that option and then they take advantage of it. And, I mean, so many times I is that person, and I go to the sign-in sheet, no information, it's not on the calendar, and I'm at a loss. So I think it does make sense, but really you can manage it, and go out of your way to make sure everybody knows what they are. Yeah, so I grew up in the sea world, um, <laughs> and it was even more strict than just no. There was probably a word before that. <laughs> that would have uh, accompanied the answer. So that's the world that I grew up in. I think we're definitely in the B world at this point. And honestly, I think we're moving toward A. I don't know where we're going to end up, but here's where we are as a company. We have various roles within our company that do work from home. We have a graphic designer that works from home and We'd love to have her in the office, but honestly, we, I don't think we experience any inefficiency by her not being in the office. We're able to communicate uh, by email, by phone, by any other way that you can imagine, and we clearly are able to get what we need from her. 
we have proposal preparation folks that work from home. And they do a great job uh, when they're there at home working. Um, we also have, and if you think about it, we have CAD technicians in our company that work with engineers in other offices. And we've, we've really focused on being able to work across office lines. But what's, there, there's really not that much of a jump off from being at that point to one of those people being at their, at their house, if you think about it. So, um, I don't know if we'll ever get to the point where, I mean, there are companies where all of their workers work remote. Not, not that I know of in our industry, I don't know that we'll ever get there as, a, as, as an industry, but I definitely think we're moving more from B toward A at this point. I have a question. So, <clears throat> they're a graphic designer and even a technician. So graphic designers and even technicians being able to work on tasks remotely from home, we get it and um, we, we allow it, you know, it's not discouraged. I wonder, people's thought from this, are those people potentially vulnerable for not having as much upward potential? Um, especially if we work in teams, and who's, who's able to lead the team and grow the team and grow the connections in the firm and get more things done? I think if an individual chooses to work remotely, they might also limit their potential in the firm. That's just mine. I'd love to get other people's thoughts on that. Um, I recently read a book, and I wish I could remember the name of it, but it was talking about this firm that every worker is a remote worker. Um, every, every worker in the entire company is a remote worker. And they, the way they, um, resolve those kind of issues is they make uh, they make special requirements for okay we're going to meet together in person as a team periodically at these different locations they don't have an office location it's like a lot of money on on office rent uh, and again i don't know that you can ever do this in our industry completely but i think there's ways to resolve that when we first started doing it with our proposal preparation folks the lady that supervises all of the other proposal preparers wanted to work one or two days a week from home. And um, I was very concerned about that as how you supervise somebody when you're not physically adjacent to them. But there are companies that are, that are overcoming those obstacles based upon what workers you actually produce. And, and you know, it's truly results-driven. Uh, as a resident millennial, I think to your point, sometimes young people wonder, is this a bait and switch? Is it, yes, you're offered to be able to work from home, but what will this mean for my career? And so I think that's something to think about as we move forward. So let's, let's move on to the next question. Yeah, we can continue this discussion. Um, I just thought we were kind of flowing into this next question already. Okay, you got your phones ready? This is it. How do you feel about flex time policies? And, how, and also, uh, to the audience, how do you manage that uncertainty in resources? 
see what the numbers come in here. <laughs> One vote so far. continuation from the, the prior question and I think our perspective is having that flexibility throughout the day um, I don't think we even have uh, formally defined core hours um, for a lot of staff and, and I know relative to, to, to my team there's a lot of people that will show up at 6 a.m. and there's other folks that show up at 9 a.m. and it's intentionally you know, built around that flexibility um, but it does cause problems I, I think in some cases where okay we know we've got a particular deliverable deadline and we need the whole team here cranking away and if it's not communicated what that particular need is that person that shows up at nine you know can get the kind of get the scowl for folks that have been uh, you know on the, on the job for, for three hours so i think that that then you know, that discretion is still up to our kind of our core management team to work with the balance of the group to figure out okay, what's going to work for everyone and then once you've got that established you can you can work through that um, you know manage that through our weekly workload balancing discussions and figuring out you know, what teams are going to be on the job and then tackling things um, and manage that flexibility from there um, i did want to follow up with the thought uh, about you know the, the folks working remotely and i do think that the career limitation comes not as a result of um, an edict that okay, if you're not in the mothership, so to speak, you won't get this opportunity. But having seen so many interesting career opportunities happen for people because of, almost regardless of role, they're in the office absorbing all that institutional knowledge. And that when an opportunity presents itself to be working hand-in-hand -hand with a the client there in the office or be collaborating in some new way, for people that are there and kind of sensing that opportunity, having been part of the community to raise their hand and say, yeah, I want to do that, and then you know, pretty incredible things can happen as a result. How do you all feel about half-day Fridays? And also, I'm interested to know, is this a, is it a year-round thing for those firms that actually do, or is it seasonal? <coughs> We do ours. We do ours over the summer. We've had it in place now for four years. Uh, four years. I, I I don't care for it particularly. I think my partner doesn't doesn't like it. For me, it's finding people in the office at certain times, and what we were just discussing was like, oh, where's Chris? Oh, Chris is on half day today. That's right. Yeah, we do see there uh, summer months only. I would say you're basically discounting any work being done on Friday. You can't ever commit to deliverable on Friday anymore, things of that nature. You've got to basically commit all your deliverables to be really, really And then you can't count on that extra day. Um, it does bring people in earlier the other four days a week. It's in maybe 10 hour days, or 9 hour days in some of those days. So we get, maybe we get some more work done, but you know, getting one day over four days, one hour over four days, is probably not as efficient as doing a full energy on one day. And it's causing frustrations for clients. Cause client frustration. Anyone else? We've got a comment in the back. back. <laughs> 
and this seems to uh, trend into a cultural norm about maybe the American work ethic in other countries. But we know from the European community that they're training for four-day work weeks and they're finding that the uh, efficiencies are actually improved. Or in France, where you have one week, one month vacations, or sort of mandated. So um, anyway, I personally don't see, but um, I do think that uh, this may be a cultural transition we're going through where people maybe remember work work life balance issues from the world before, but maybe seeing this pressure relax on Friday. Interesting subject, I've seen it both ways. When you have um, people that come in on the Friday and it's still noon, it's pretty much a waste of day. So what we do is we do Friday for pretty noon, and that seems to be working pretty well. You combine that with the fact that with email, text, and cell phones, and the company cell phones, I expect them to answer that phone by calling. I'm not asking them to do work a lot of times if, if uh, we give them phones that even on vacation I can call them. I don't ask them to do the work. I just ask them to direct me in the direction to fix this issue, whatever it is, and that's it. That's the limit of what they have to do. So you don't neglect the client because if it was 3 p.m. on Friday, we do 40 announcements from 6. That seems to work. But the under four hours, Basically, the 11:30. It's a waste of day. John, still, you have something? I thought you had your hand. Well, I did. I've already been called out as a curmudgeon. <laughs> In this, uh, years ago, we had a half-day Friday schedule. I thought it would be uh, neat for the employees, and uh, it turned out to be rife with problems. Uh, a few people were assigned to be there in the afternoons. Most people got absolutely nothing done because they were fielding questions on projects they knew nothing about and to try to dig those things out. That information was highly inefficient. But also I felt like it, it impacted our brand, that it made us appear to be less serious about our work and about being available to serve our clients. And I got a little bit of feedback about that. So we, we did this in the summers only for a couple of years. Uh, and, and then we move back away from it. So if you do it, you have to be very careful about it. Well, that's that's a good point. I go back a ways. And so this was not within the last 30 years. Let me say You can't tell this, but I am a millennial. <laughs> First of all, I want to say if somebody's on vacation and answers the phone, they need to be fired. Because we have to have a culture that people are allowed to take vacation, nothing personal but over there, and have some time off. I think uh, in, in uh, my firm, we have a mix of millennials <laughs> and uh, different generations. I think all of these issues get resolved by communication. We have a summer policy that people are take um, you know, half a day, and they are very productive. If they have a deadline, they don't go home. They know if there is a deadline that weekend, 
So there's a lot of communication and collaboration and partnership and everybody supporting each other. So if they have, they need to be flexible with their time. It's it, the root of it all is communication. Talk to each other, and if, if you have a client that needs to need something, take care of client. If it's a, a culture of taking client and taking care of clients, and you have to take a vacation, you know somebody else is there to fill your spot. And I think generally engineers, and maybe I'm going to go there, I shouldn't go, men are not great at communication. But uh, I think that... Laura, it's a stereotype. I want a woman who doesn't ignore me. So I think that the more, the more we communicate, all of these things can get resolved easier. I just want to point out that I did um, put up this slide. Since we do have so many topics, at some point I may put up a slide like this that has this countdown, and that just means we're, we, you know, when this hits zero, we're gonna have we're gonna move on to the next topic. That's just so that we get to cover everything today. So I won't mention mention the M word, uh, but we are pretty heavily loaded with that with that being true. What we have found is completely different from what you hear in the media and everything else. We have found that these folks want to work hard. They want to have a purpose. They want to be rewarded uh, for working hard. I heard the comment, I don't know who made it, about working a half a day on Friday is just a waste of time. Uh, I'd like to know if that was a measured result or if that is an, if that, uh, an, an opinion or a, or a, or a gut feel. Um, these young people will answer the phones. They'll answer emails. They'll drop what they're doing, come back to the office, and get something out of the world that needs to happen. What they ask for from our experience is understanding and respect. And if we give that to them, we won't have the issues that so many of us do, uh, so many that I hear do. Um, we, we have an experience that these, these young folks work really, really hard and they're smarter than we are. We have to, us old folks like me have to understand that these folks are smarter than we are. They don't have a lot of experience that we do. There's things that we know that, that they'll learn, right? But when it comes to sitting down and getting some work done and using the technology in the most efficient way, get out of the way. So I want to pose the question, how many, uh, especially in these new initiatives, how much of it is being tracked? Do you all do that as a firm? I know we talked about summer months. Are you looking at those summer months in uh, conjunction with the other nine and how performance is Take the I work with Rob and Pam. Just, just want to add one thing. We changed our hours so that we were eight and a half hour days um, to three on Fridays. We did it for a summer first. Because senior management was really concerned. What's going to happen at three o'clock? What happens when I need someone and they're not here? And the answer always was someone can't leave just because it's three o'clock. They have to be able to leave. Um, but the other side of that is after the summer, no one said, everyone said, we didn't miss a beat. So we were able, we did it as a trial, and said, let's just do this over here. And I don't think there's been one issue since we've done it. It's not so new, so it's a couple more hours, and, and we're not hearing compliance, and our phones stopped getting answered. And you notice that it, our, our switchboard phone was at 3 o'clock. It's work. Yeah, I'd, I'd submit that our experiences, my experience within the company is similar. So folks will say, hey, 
I want to leave, I'm planning to leave at 3 o'clock on Friday or sometimes earlier, understanding that here's why you're going to get done during the week. Sometimes they're not going to leave at 3 o'clock, but maybe, maybe they'll leave a little bit earlier if they're that much more efficient during the week. I think some of it is that uh, as the clients get younger too, they're going to have a different opinion about it. And they'll have, they won't be calling at 4 o'clock on a Friday and they'll be on a break. Last comment? I'm just going to make two comments. One was, I think that's important to also note that the workday has already changed from 8 to 5 with the connectivity with the phones and the internet and the email. So it's already starting to blur the line. But I do think, kind of to your point, that whether it's with PTO or half-day Fridays or whatever the case is, I think it should always be based on as long as you've got all your work done. I know as the overall privileges and I think should be the foundation for the work. So I think it's setting the expectations of the planner. So even if you have half-day Fridays, if you haven't finished whatever you're responsible for that week, then you have the privileges to make it and you've got the same thing. And I think there's an uh, element of self-policing there too. You don't want one person who's taking advantage of the situation to cause everyone else to miss out. And sometimes that those types of things correct themselves internally, so you're not jeopardizing the group. Uh -huh. <laughs>
know, you know, I thought, well, if I start wearing a coat of time, maybe people will start wearing slacks or what no. They don't care. <laughs> you know, they're not dressing for what the CEO does. They're dressing for comfort. And that's fine. I'm okay with that. Just don't go into a meeting with a client that's inappropriate, you know, inappropriate to dress. I personally am against dress codes because that's how I stay the best dressed of all. <laughs> uh, I, I want Aaron to speak about what uh, Westwood does uh, with charity uh, and things like that. Thanks. Yeah, so recently, um, one of the events that we've been doing as part of our, our giving back uh, program uh, at Westwood is um, for this food drive. Uh, if you want to wear uh, flip flops and shorts on a Friday, you donate five bucks and it goes to the food drive and you can wear flip flops and shorts. Now, I understand that um, we've been doing this for at least a couple of years now, and, and I recently relocated back to the headquarters office and I kind of was unaware of this policy. I would walk around and see people that I work with walk around in shorts and flip flops. <coughs> This is interesting, um, and then we've been reminded that well, that's part of the part of the program. So I, I think that that is a really cool way to not only put money in a good place, but give people kind of that freedom. I agree entirely that people have to exercise good judgment. Sometimes you have to under, help them understand what that is. I, I can think of only one incident that I'm aware of in the company years ago where someone, not to the extent of Meredith from the office, but something along those lines. Like, that's just that's just not going to work. It's a professional workplace. Can't wear that here, um, but generally I think there, there's a range. Of course, you know some people, a few ties, a few, um, but most people just kind of straight up business casual. And and I think yeah, dressed to the meeting is a great point. I also think in a lot of cases people dress to, um, you know, where our clients are and, and how how they show up, and and at the range as well because some of our clients are out in construction sites all day So that is very different than you know the boardroom discussions. I have a question for you. Um, how, how do you handle the surveyors? Right? So surveyors have to be dressed appropriately yeah. every day. So yeah. we've got people who are pounding in stakes every day, and then you got people who are nowhere to be found working from wherever. And you know, there's a, becomes a little animosity between, you know, and then and then the other thing is, you know, it's hard to find younger surveyors. I mean, that 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 part of our profession is needs needs some help, needs some marketing, I guess. So I mean, how, how do you deal with that? I mean, I'm, we're all from remote, but then they get surveyors going. Well, where's so and so? I mean, haven't seen him. I can't get a hold of him. When I call him, and I got somebody screaming at me, feeling to answer right now. And you work from home, and you and you, you maybe your phone was somewhere, and you missed it in five minutes. I mean, that that can cause chaos in the field. Have you? Yes, chaos. Yes. Um, well, to the to the point of uh, the dress code piece, uh, I believe we've recently invested in ensuring that all of our survey staff have Westwood branded gear. Um, our, our our two lead um, land surveying managers thought that that was really important, and I think fully worthwhile investment because they are a, a brand ambassador for us, uh, much more so than those of us that are kind of in the office all the time. So that's really important. Um, and from, from the communication standpoint, we invest a lot in, in our IT and communications infrastructure. Um, and phone connectivity is one thing. We also do a lot of work, you know, tablet-based and otherwise, so that those requests that are coming in live from the field and, and you know, data transmittal, et cetera, we, we try to make that as, as seamless and as fast as possible. There are always those snafus when something happens and you can't get a hold of somebody, um, and then it can result in rework or miscommunication on site. Uh, but our, our, our guys in the field, are, are, and the gals as well, are really, um, I think, concerned about that, ensuring that 
again, they're representing Westwood in the field. They are on the front lines of a lot of our projects, and it's, it's really something that we have to reinforce as far as here's data out of the office to the field, here's, here's data from the field back into the office, and that is, that is critical to the balance of whatever we're doing in a given project. We, we, we've even gone so far as to have a laundry service for our surveyors. In, in the summer, our surveyors generally wear uh, blue jeans and a KSA t-shirt, uh, and it's like safety green uh, because we're out around traffic. In the colder weather, they have long sleeve khaki shirts, and we get those things longer because our surveyors were coming in with shirts that look like they just picked them up off the floor and the dog had slept on the and so we just took that on as an, as an expense, and I tell you, I couldn't be prouder of those guys. When I see them going out to their truck and they're all dressed alike, I know they're representing our company well, and it, it, it just makes them very proud. And they seem to appreciate it. I mean, who wouldn't love having their shirts longer uh, and, and just pick them up every Friday and, and take them home to the field and bring back your, your own? So it works out really well. I raise my hand to say, basically, the bottom line is dress for success. So if you're in the field, um, we got away from the uniform cleaning service that we work, but we buy um, shirts by the hundreds. And when someone comes in with an old ratty looking shirt, they bring new set shirts and they pay for them. Um, I tell them that when you are exactly someone else sitting here, you're on the front lines and you're representing the firm and the trucks. You know, on the survey side, they're branded. <laughs> and I joke with people, I say, they're, they're not survey trucks, they're cash registers. And everyone that sees them knows that. And, and you're everywhere. And it's important that you put that image forth. But when their shirts come in, you know, they're looking pretty bad. And some of them, you know, we do subsurface utilities, and they come in with filthy at the end of the day. When they get hit to that point where you say, you need some new shirts, here's five new ones. You know, throw those, give me the other ones, throw me new people, because you'll wear them. <laughs> the CEO of G, I believe it was GE, um, I read a whole article about press code from her, and her answer was with lots of fights from her HR staff, our dress code became dress appropriate. And you, if you make these big codes, it's because of that one or two person who addressed the person. And I think we all have a really hard time addressing the issue. If the issue is something like that, you address it. But why make your whole staff have to adhere to something because of the one or two or three people you may have that are causing the issues? Um, and if they don't know what dress appropriately is, it's their job to tell them. My first day, I was an HR, I an HR, but I was working for Office Depot in an HR position and came in in a suit, but they were capriced. Their dress codes said no capriced. And I was actually, someone actually said something to me. I mean, I was in a suit, I was dressed very appropriately. But their codes said no capriced. So I, I think dress appropriately is much more important. And addressing the issue with the staff who's having an issue with what appropriate means. It can showcase judgment and also ambition. So uh, I think dress appropriately will be a very mild I'm going home. I can't believe I'm going to miss this. <laughs> I really have.
So let's discuss drinks in the office. Uh, in the office, not right on the job, but in the office, and what is what are policies around it? What do you think? Anybody? Chair? I don't have an opinion, but I'll let you know that in our office, it's a hot topic that no one is on the same page with, and um, it creates some issues. We have three offices. Uh, I would say there's one office that's quite open about it, and we may enjoy together after the day ends and that's their bonding time and great conversations come from it. And then our HR, she's like, absolutely not, don't do it. But we're inconsistent. So we do have sponsored events after hours where we buy the alcohol and we serve it to our employees. But then you say, no, you can't have a drink with your employee after five o'clock on a Friday because that's not appropriate. Mm, we're kind of inconsistent. But it's because I think that everyone is kind of a scary topic to talk about, and there is some risk involved uh, that we haven't made a decision. Probably not for us. And you got thoughts on this? Justin just no comments. Um, <laughs> similar situation. You know, we as a company we enjoy having events with our clients uh, in the office, and there may be alcohol there. Um, fully sanctioned, um, and I've had beers and other things in the office uh, over the years on occasion, kind of for special events and things. I remember years ago we did a, a light beer blind taste test. You know, you know your Bud Light from your Coors Light from your Miller Light. It was a lot of fun. I mean, and that was a way to bond with some other people. Like during the lunch hour, it's not like anybody got uh, drunk, and uh, we missed any deadlines that week. Um, and you know, other instances. Okay, someone got a promotion. We're going to do a shot. Um, everything that I've experienced has been kind of to that you know, level of intensity or severity. Nothing that I would call crazy by any means. And certainly, probably not, not as, as intense as from what I've seen in some cases from you know, corporately sponsored events. Um, you know, and, and so I think that is, uh, it, 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 there's that um, contrast there about what's acceptable and what isn't. I think it goes back to the judgment piece that if there isn't a policy, and yet we feel that this might be something that we want to do as part of an inclusiveness or, or bonding effort um, with, our, with our employees and colleagues, um, and it's kept within reason, and that people you know, are thinking about it responsibly and safely, I think that that's okay. It's, it's the same answer as a dress code. Dress appropriately, drink appropriately. And, and if you're not, we'll win the dress that issue. So, when our firm was founded, our founder had a stock bar in his office. And he had clients over almost every day at 4 o'clock. It was called Toby's Roundtable. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and that was the culture of our company for, you know, for, well, 40 years ago. That was the culture of our company. And over time, that, that pendulum has swung completely to the other end, where now we don't drink in the office, period. Nobody does. Um, we reimburse, uh, obviously, our people when they have dinner or, and drinks or drinks with clients. We don't pay for drinks with, you know, with, with a supervisor and an employee. If you want to 
had breaks with, you know, couldn't go out, and we don't discourage that, obviously. But, but in the office, we just, we just don't do it. And I don't know if that's right or wrong. I don't even know why we got to that point, but I think maybe it was a, a pendulum swing from where we started out uh, to where we are today. Yeah, you mentioned pendulum swing, and, and I think culturally that pendulum is swung in broad scale, but I think it's also coming back around. Uh, we see it in a lot of different types of companies. In, in our firm, we built out a new office space about four, four years ago, and so we put in a bar in kind of the main open space in the office. It's got four stocked beer refrigerators and then a, a liquor bar. The liquor one surely gets locked, but you know, doing a shot on a, on a promotion or a big win or something. So we've had... Are you hiring? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had a bottle thrown out for that, and in three years, we've used two bottles of thrown. So, you know, we hire responsible, reasonable adults, and there was some mention, you know, mixed feelings about it. There was definitely mixed feelings about it when we moved in and stocked it up, but I'll tell you, we spend way less restocking than I ever thought we would. Um, people just don't go real that fast, but it is a huge um, camaraderie builder, you know, on Friday afternoon, it might be 4 o'clock, 4.30, and folks start gathering up for their team meetings and, you know, cracking, up, cracking open some, you know, local craft beers and, and things like that. So. It's, it's gone really well for us. We also do a lot of fine entertainment events around it. Our space is kind of known for it now. Uh, but, but reasonable adults that need responsibility. I think this is the one topic that we've had so far that has a risk side to it that uh, it gets a little bit out of the generational discussion and gets into the risk avoidance discussion. Uh, we have some master agreements that we have that contractually we are obligated to have a drug-free work environment and an alcohol-free work environment. And we're contractually not supposed to have it anywhere on our premises and any of our offices or why. Uh, the other one we've seen is uh, peripherally there's some companies we know of. There's a large firm here in town that starts with a J, which was their headquarters here last year, uh, that uh, they uh, they will not sponsor an event that has alcohol at it, even if the name doesn't show up on the sponsorship because they've been sued uh, by people who've had activities after events. And they're just a big target. And so uh, it's, it's something that gets into a little bit more than just your culture that you really have to watch out for. I think I want to share something that I heard from some of our clients that had dinner a few years ago. Um, one of them in particular had a very heavy beer culture around, you know, this is when we share the big wins, people are going to talk about interesting work. And what they found is they were, uh, they were setting a culture where if you don't drink and you're not part of this, then you don't belong here. And there's a lot of reasons why people don't drink, won't drink, shouldn't drink. and I think, I think that's just something to keep in mind because it's a dominant American cultural narrative of drinking is what we all do. But when you look at the numbers, the percentage of Americans that don't drink, it's, it's not small. 
And so it's just a thing to keep in mind that like there might be some people who aren't part of the party who are feeling pushed out. So I just want to show that we are. Well, I, I, that's a great point, and, and I was uh, visiting with a client recently with some of my colleagues, and we went to dinner, and you know, you know, we were having drinks. One of our, one of my colleagues um, didn't have anything. He's new to the organization, I said, you know, and he didn't order anything. Said, you don't drink? He said, no, I don't drink. It's fine, you know. And and you know, where I went to college, I was in a fraternity and saw some things that got really out of hand, and so. It's interesting having this conversation, reflecting on that stuff, and you, you kind of separate, well, that happened so many years ago. Well, a lot of the same ingredients go into a workplace party or something like that. And to your point about making it like an exclusive thing, when you're, you're in, you're out, would be obviously a, a huge mistake on part of the organization and people in leadership. Yeah, and I'll ask you, if you drink apples at a beach, well, um, you've got some That's a great point. It's of young professionals and how this how this affects the decision making operational way. Right However, um, you know, I was invited to, to become an owner of a firm. That's how I'm, that's how I'm characterizing becoming a principal. I think that was the intent of the question. Um, I think because of the, the skills that I brought and the ways that I could add value to the organization, um, though not having been there for you know, many years of, of tenure and following um, the similar path of a lot of the other you know, engineering staff or other professionals, et cetera. So unique case. Um, and we've had other folks over time um, come from other, I think, unique uh, scenarios wherein we were able to see the value that these people bring to the organization, um, even though they hadn't, say, paid their dues in a lot of cases from a, from a pure tenure perspective, and yet uh, a ton of upside from the organization keeping these people here and you know, rewarding them for their hard work and hard work, harder work yet to come. So I think it is 
um, you know, very situationally based. Um, however, you know, you have to do that with appropriate discretion and not um, not say, well, we're just going to look for the Doogie Howsers because of a lot of other really good people that you want to make principles and and you can't pay all of your attention to the unique cases. There are some more traditionally based career trajectories that are just as valuable that we need to continue to build upon and invite to become principal. And Mitch, have you had to deal with any pushback if you elevated someone who's perceived to be valuable in the firm? No, we, we've been all about trying to uh, expand our ownership group to uh, as many people as we possibly can. And, and we haven't had any pushback at all on that. And, and what I would say is for us, it's more important that we bring these folks in and let them work for a period of time for us to be able to try to figure out, are they ownership material? Do they have the right attitude about ownership? Um, and so what that looks like at KSA is it, you have to be licensed first, uh, obviously, uh, in our firm. And then the, the second qualification is, is that you've worked for our company at least a year, maybe two years before you're typically offered stock in the company. And that, that's worked out fairly well for us. We're in the middle of a shareholder agreement revision right now, and we're, um, we're really testing that ownership mentality uh, in terms of non-competition agreements and, and investing schedules and, and those sorts of things. So it is it is interesting. I don't think age has anything to do with it. Um, I didn't want to be limited when I was young. Uh, I had very high ambition. I wanted to climb as fast and as far as I possibly could. And I don't want to do that to anybody else. Um, but I do want to protect the company and make sure that they're ready for that ownership position. Okay. Um, you said they have to be licensed. Does that mean that your support staff would be in order? No, let me take that back. Yeah. It, good catch. Good catch. Actually, our director of marketing and our director of administration are owners of the company. Um, I was thinking more along the lines of. Um, you know, so basically, if you're a manager, if you're a director level, then, then yeah, you don't have to be licensed. Any other thoughts on uh, internal rock stars and how you kind of assess their future? excited and, and actually uh, focus your attention on young talent a little bit more than anybody in exhibit them. Creativity. Creativity. That's number one. Okay. Ambition. Ambition. Responsibility. And responsibility. So, Aaron, when you say ambition, how is that appropriately shown? Perfect example, I think, is um, so the award that I accepted earlier on behalf of my colleague, Matt Wessel. Um, and you know, Matt is a guy who, um, we, we bought his company. He was a one-man company doing uh, foundation-related services in the solar industry. And he wanted to grow this company to be something much bigger. 
um, we, we decided we needed his ambition, his uh, you know, very forward-thinking mentality, um, his already uh, pretty significant credibility in the marketplace as part of our team. And after we did that, we somewhat pigeonholed, pigeonholed him in this role that we understood, okay, here's your box, live in the box for a while, and we'll see how it goes. And he wanted to do a lot of other things outside of that box, all good things that would benefit the company, but it was like, ah, you're, that's too much right now. And um, we knew that he would have many opportunities working with a lot of our clients or perhaps competitors in that regard. And so we were able to sit down with him and say, hey, we still think this is the place for you. And we just got to figure out how to harness that ambition and you know, make room for him, really, from a leadership perspective in our team. And he has, he has embraced that opportunity to grow additional services and capabilities. And the guy sells and, and produces. And it's, you know, he's helping to pull the train. And so in those cases, it's, it's identifying that he's going to do something great um, somewhere in this industry. And we want it to be part of our team. Shameless plug here, Randy Wilburn in the back. Um, I sat down with a podcast with him and also Ryan and TVL about somewhat about this topic. So I want to get y'all's uh, opinion. It is my belief that there are three things that young people need to see in a firm uh, in order to really drive and feel comfortable. The first would be a defined path and articulated purpose, uh, choice, and that's in benefits and in personality and well, and then organizational trust. So what what are your thoughts on those three elements? And yeah, I'll just open it up that way. Sorry, we broke the internet on that last question. That was just. <laughs> but any, any thoughts? First path and purpose. Do you feel that your young professionals are wanting that a little bit more than in the past? Okay, I saw hands fire up. So. What? I I think from how we've kind of tried to align our company and creating it kind of with a culture first, and I think a lot of our young employees, that's why they're coming to us. They want that culture, they want a feeling of purpose, not only what they do day to day, but they want to know uh, what the company reinforces, what it does externally in the community and stuff like that. So uh, I think that's kind of differentiated ourselves a lot from the firms in the Denver area, just how we want to reinforce that. Because they feel like they have a purpose in the work they do, but then a purpose externally that the company is trying to achieve. You know, and, and then like we said before, what else do they need beyond communication? What we're looking for is that passion. That's the number one thing when I go through recruiting. If I sit down with a candidate in the first five minutes, if I can't detect something that they're passionate about, they're probably not going to make the next cut of our firm. Everybody at our firm is very passionate about whatever we're accomplishing. Uh, I guess one thing that comes to mind for me is empowerment, I think, is a lot of what folks are asking for, so that can be the past question, that can be some of the other things we've talked about, but they're looking at what tools am I going to have to empower as I can be individual in my role, and am I going to be able to, you know, do I have to just answer a bunch of bullets, or am I going to be able to be empowered to help and act and think like an owner? Um, we're an ESOP, so we push that message too, but I know I got to follow directions, we don't talk about our firm and talk about our feelings. <laughs> so my feelings are just that, that that empowerment just seems to always come up and they're really looking for how can I make a difference and what are you going to do to help me get there and how much can I see and be involved in um, whether it's in my box or not. Um, and obviously a lot of us don't have boxes that we put people in. Um, but that's that's what I would say.
we are passing our entire organization right now, and we're making every division come up with their career paths. But what we learned in doing it is it's not important. It's not only important to have a path, but what's the expectation of the skill set at each level? So everyone's going to be able to click on next level. There's going to be a management and a um, technical level for every division. So not only the skill set that's needed, but um, what the requirements are. And what we did decide to do is not put years in there, because some people are going to get there much quicker than others. Because what we found is our staff managers they want to know where can I go. Well, tell me what I need to get there. Tell me what. Tell me what. Why I can't be that. Um, you find a lot of people come. I want to be a director. Well, what does it take to be a director? What skills should you have before you can do that? And it'll be available on our internet or on fire center. Now I want to throw it back to, to Chrissy, but I, I did want to ask for CEOs and presidents in the room. How how much diversity do you have in leadership across the business? I don't want to put Paul on the, on the spot. Oh, <laughs> I'll put you on the spot. And I, and I put him on the spot because I know leadership across Westwood, and it's different, but they all work together very well. So, so from uh, you know diversity, whether it's are you talking generational diversity? I'm talking personality. Personality. Yeah. Oh, we can stop. Yeah, we've got, um, I would say that our divisions are actually quite different in, in how they run. I mean, they are, from a, from a culture standpoint, um, from a, um, overall uh, company standpoint, the, the people are quite similar, but the way they operate is, is Quite different. Uh, Aaron's Aaron's team, the power team is uh, more. They they make decisions all together, and Brian's team is more has more structure. And uh, but but overall, you know, they work well together. We uh, as a company uh, all all fit together. But yeah, it's. Uh, there's definitely differences, and we give our people the opportunity to, to uh, take advantage of doing things differently. And I, the reason why I ask that question is where I work as a wise group, we're all different, and, and our leadership is different. But as, as someone who is reporting up, it does help. Does help to see that there are different personalities and different ways of doing things that can also be successful in the firm. And I think when you have that diversity across your leadership, it gives young people the feeling that they can still do themselves as a leader. So that's why I wanted to come around. Well, we are actually out of time. Uh, we had to skip over a few topics um, just because I wanted to make sure we, you know, everybody's able to talk about the things we wanted to talk about. Um, if you would like to see the results of this presentation afterwards, just uh, shoot an email over to me or Brendan, and um, all, all of the voting that you all did is actually saved over here, so I'd be happy to share that with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to this Zweig Letter podcast episode. If you want more wisdom and inspiration, in addition to information about M&A, strategic planning, HR, and marketing your firm, 
Subscribe now to the digital version of the Zweig Letter free of charge. Just visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe and leave your email address. Your free subscription will begin immediately.